Um, my aim this morning is to do a little bit on hunger for God and in the context of worship. And uh, that's what we're thinking about this morning. And, and I, I, I aim to not talk for long so we actually can do some worship and we can press into the presence of God. So you can hold me to account on that. You can start looking bored uh, at the point when you want me to stop. And I'll, I'll try. Um, I'd love, did you, I don't know if you noticed when we were worshipping, three children came and brought seats and made their own little row. It was a real image to me of like pressing in. <laughs> you know, I don't know what they were doing it for, but they came and they made their own little row and they sat down. They wanted to be amongst the worship. And uh, that's what we're thinking about this morning. We're thinking about pressing into God, how worship is a way that we can um, encounter God. We can come into his presence. Um, I don't know if you know this, but our highest calling is worship. Your highest calling as a follower of Jesus is to worship. The big defining question, if you like, for you and me is not, will I worship, but what will I worship? Not will I worship, but what will I worship? You and I were both made to worship. We were made to worship. We will give worth to something or someone by the way that we live our lives. It just matters what it is that we choose to worship. When I trained as a teacher, I was a primary school teacher for 22 years. When I trained as a teacher, one of the lectures I remembered was one about child development. And it was about the whole nature-nurture debate. You know, when children misbehave, when you have that child in your class who always likes to call out and always likes to throw little bits of rubber at the child in front of them, why is it that they do that? Is it because they just are inherently naughty? Or is it because something about the way they have been brought up means that they will behave in that way? You know, the whole nature-nurture debate. Um, what I think on that is that we're actually usually a combination of those things. We're a combination of who we are, the, nur- the nature, and also the environment that we've grown in- up in and the things that have happened to us in life. But often i found that bad behaviour is an expression of something good that is hardwired in us, that was hardwired in the children, but they'd learned to express that nature, if you like, in a wrong way. So an example would be um, that child who is always calling out and seeking attention. Well, that comes from a desire for being noticed, for relationship, for wanting to be recognized. But the way that they expressed that good nature, if you like, was they learned to do it in a wrong way. And I think that's a really good way for us to think about how we are made to worship. We are made to worship. That is our nature. God created you and I as people who give worth to things. And he created us to give worship and worth to him. But we can choose to give our worship, to to express that nature, if you like, in other ways, all we can choose to do as we were created to be, to give him glory and to worship him. So much of the Old Testament, if you think about it, is about um, the people of God and the worship that they give. And remember, all the time God is saying, choose me or choose something else. Choose, don't, choose, don't go after those other things, the other gods. 
choose me. Always in the Old Testament, throughout it, you hear this story of the people of God constantly walking this line of time with God, moving away, coming back to God, moving away. And it's all about who they choose to give their worship to, who who they choose to focus their attention on. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh and he asked for God's people to be set free, set my people free. He was the mouthpiece of God to Pharaoh, set my people free so that they might worship me. Not just set free, but in order that they might fulfill that which they were created for, to worship me. And the ongoing refrain is that if my people will come to me and seek me and worship me, I will be their God. And, I, and things will go well. I will come and dwell amongst them as they seek my face and as they turn to me. If my people, it says in 2 Chronicles 7, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. So if you and I turn to him, his promises, he will hear from heaven. I like the way Mike Pulavacci, who, who leads Soul Survivor, uh, Soul Survivor Church in Watford, he talks about this. He said that when he first became a Christian, he was like, why on earth does God want our worship? Why, is, is there something insecure about him that he just needs us to tell him how good he is all the time? And you can be mistaken for thinking that when we talk about being made to worship God, that God created us so that we would worship him. Is, is, is there something about God that is insecure about him? But the way he goes on is he, he realized as he became more mature as a Christian that worship is a language of relationship. It's a language of intimacy with the Father. When my children were younger, they would often come and sit on my lap. And they'd give me a cuddle or they'd give me a kiss. And the worth they gave me in those acts by choosing to do this was an expression of their love for me. And I would in return give them worth by hugging them and speaking words over them that gave them their worth. Worship is about relationship. It's about giving worth. When Jesus was baptized by John, remember those words of the Father over Jesus. Do you think Jesus was secure in who he was? Of course he was. But yet the Father still gave him worth by saying, this is my son whom I love. This is my son whom I love. He gave Jesus worth by speaking those words over them. As a church here at Philly, we have been shaped by this belief that we are called to be a people that give glory and honor to God. We love to seek God's presence. We love to seek his face. That's part of who we are as a church. That's part of the journey that we've been on as we've learned to do that. As we've learned to give space to God and to allow him to come into the space where we inhabit. And as we seek his face, to seek um, all that he has for us so that we can become the people that he's called us to be. 
That's who we are as a church. It's a core teaching for us. And we know that if we neglect relationship with God, the worship of God, it's at our peril. We know that. And that's why we long to pursue who he is. Because we know that's what will give us all that we are. We're a bit like Moses. You know, when Moses said to, to God, if your presence does not go with us, don't send us. We're like that as a church. We know how much we need him and how much we need to turn our faces towards him. If his presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us. That's what we're seeking and that's what we're about. So just a few points uh, to finish with that I want to just make about worship. Firstly, and before anything else, worship is about God. It's not a means to something. I know I've just said we want to be blessed by God and we want to seek his presence. But before any of that, we worship just because God is God and he is worthy of our praise. And if we ever make anything else the reason for our worship, we're in trouble. Because actually, even worship itself can become an idol, strangely enough. We can go for the the thing rather than where the thing is pointing us to, which is God. So first and foremost, worship is all about God. It's a vertical axis, if you like, pointing straight up to him. And when we come together to worship, we're encouraging each other to face him, to turn to him. Bill Johnson, who leads Bethel Church, he, um, talk, he said he used, to think, he used to think that he had priorities in life. Like first was God, second was family, third was ministry, and so on. And he realized that there is no number two. And he says, I get to love my family in an offering to God. It's all worship. There's only a number one. I turn to God and then everything else falls into place. This leads on to the second thing I want to say about worship. As we worship, we will be transformed. That's the promise of the Bible. As we turn to him, as we seek his face, as we give him worth, we will be transformed. It's a consequence of choosing him. Remember those two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and then love your neighbor as yourself. Give him worth, turn to him. And then it flows from that we're able to go and love our neighbor as ourselves. We will always be a church that is about gathering and scattering. We will always be that church. Because we long to see Sheffield transformed. That's our heart. But we know that we do that by seeking God's face first. And as we come to him, as we are transformed into his likeness and become all that he's created to be, we are then able to go as a people who can make a difference in the world. Not because of anything to do with us, because his glory goes with us. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that what you want? I I want that. I want to be a person who goes into a place because I've encountered God in worship. And as I go, he goes with me. We become a blessing to our neighbor as we learn to seek him and put him first. Remember that thing that Moses said, unless your presence goes with us, do not send us. We become transformed and we become the salt and light that we long to be, the city on the hill, the blessing to our city. In 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 16, it says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil 
is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The promise that as we come into his presence, we are transformed. That great line in the hymn, Love Divine, changed from glory into glory. That's what that's reflecting. As we seek his face, something happens. And we, you and I, are so privileged to be able to enter into the presence of God. You know, we can enter the Holy of Holies with God now because of what Jesus has done. He's made that way possible. Whereas before, you know, there's the whole elaborate system of sacrificing that, uh, uh, of the priest that had to do to get them into the temple. We have the freedom this morning to come into the presence of the Almighty God. And he longs to meet with you and me this morning. Thirdly, there is a choice in worship. Worship can often be amazing. I hope you can recall times where you've been in the presence of God and you've experienced the presence of God. Last year I went to New Wine for the first time in a long time and I walked into, it was one of those times when I walked into the tent where the worship was happening and I just sensed the presence of God. Amazing. And if you've had that experience, if you've known that, you know how precious it is. But it's not always like that. Sometimes worship is a choice. In the Psalms, we often see people of God in that situation. You know, the, the, the people of God in exile, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. They're in Babylon. They're in a place that's a strange place. How can we worship in a strange land? Have you ever felt like that? How can I worship in this strange place? How can I worship in the, in the context that I'm finding myself in? But look at what the people of God do. They speak to their souls. They give their souls a pep talk, if you like. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. They're speaking to themselves. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Wake up, my soul. How often do you speak to your soul because you know it's the right thing for you to do, even if you don't feel it. Wake up, my soul. Bless the Lord, my soul. Come on. Get it. Get, do what you know is good. Do what you know is right. It says in the Psalms, Psalm 57, My heart, O God, is steadfast. There's a choice there, isn't there? I don't fi- it's not my heart is feeling great about you. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music, says the psalmist. Awake my soul. Awake harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. There's a choice here in this language, isn't there? I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples. For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Is that recalling of who God is? I'm going to praise you. Wake my soul. Awake my soul. Lastly, it's not about singing. It's not all about singing and music. Now, I know I'm a worship leader. 
I love sung worship. It's a way that I really encounter God. But it's important to say that worship is so much more than that. And I want to acknowledge that. It doesn't just mean sung worship. But the Bible does clearly show that the people of God, for the people of God, sung worship has been such a key part of them being able to enter into the presence of God. There is something about worship, sung worship, that lets us come into his presence, that enables us to come into his presence. That's why in the Bible you get that phrase, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. Worship, if you like, sung worship is a bit like a doorway into the, into the place of intimacy with God, sung worship is. And all that we are trying to do as we stumble along as a worship team here at Philly is be the people that enable us as a whole to enter his gates with thanksgiving so that we come to a place of worship and intimacy with him. We don't always get it right. And uh, that's where we need your grace and your, your working with us on that. But that's our heart. That's our heart. We kind of want to get out of the way and lead us all as a people into that place of intimacy with God. It's a doorway to a place of intimacy is sung worship. And when we gather as family together, one of the key ways we know how to worship is through song. And it's again, it's a big part of who we are as a church and who we've been as a church. Spending time in worship, sung worship with God, seeking his face. Look at this passage from 2 Chronicles, verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 11 to 14. This is a passage that's talked about. Solomon's just built the temple. You know, the temple that his father David had designed and wanted to build, but then Solomon is the one who fulfills it, and the temple's just been built, and then it says, the priests then withdrew from the holy place. All the priests who were there had consecrated themselves, regardless of their divisions. That's an interesting phrase in itself. As you come in worship to God, the divisions fall away. All the Levites who were musicians... Asaph, Heman, Jejuthun, and their sons and relatives stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen and playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by 120 priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and musicians joined in unison to give praise and thanks to God. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, the singers raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. Some of you would love that to happen, I'm sure. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. Don't you want that? Look look as they turn to God in praise and worship. The glory of the Lord, the cloud of God came and descended in the temple So much so that the air was thick with God and they couldn't carry on doing what they were doing. As the people of God drew near to him in worship, the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. That's what we long for. And as we gather together as a people, there's something really important in corporate worship, in doing it together as family. In Ephesians 5, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, 
and spiritual songs with worship. From the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We encourage each other when we choose to sing together. We lift each other up when we choose to come and sing together and worship together. We point each other towards God. I've always used this illustration of a stadium, a football stadium, before or a concert, if you like, before the main event comes onto the pitch. You're all chatting and looking at other people and noticing other people. When the team come onto the pitch, when the band come into the into the arena, 80,000 people's faces turn and face that one thing. And there is a unity in the stadium that is caused by the focus on that one thing. As we come together and focus on him, it brings unity amongst his people because we're focused on him. Churches that fail to give God glory and focus on him learn to look at other things that aren't important. But it's as we focus on him that we become all we're called to be. When you sing, I came across this quote, when you sing, you are singing so that others around you can be filled with the Spirit. You sing because the person beside you might be battling some really tough things in their lives and they need to be filled with the Spirit. Together, we turn our collective gaze towards God. And the promise, and I want to finish with this, the promise of God is this. God dwells in the praises of his people. Psalm 22.3 As we worship him, he promises that he will dwell amongst us. He doesn't dwell here on the stage. He dwells in the middle of his people. There's nothing special about the stage. He comes amongst his people as we seek him. God promises to dwell amongst us as we seek his face. For where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of them. I'm going to pause there. If the band could come up, that would be great. Because we're going to do that. We're going to spend time coming before him and worshipping him. But just before we do that, can I just ask you to pause for a moment. Maybe close your eyes. And just come before God and acknowledge where your heart is this morning with him. You may be in a place of, yeah, I'm there. I want, it's not an effort for me to come and worship God. You may be in a place where you need to speak to your soul and say, wake up my soul. Wake up my soul. It's okay wherever you are, but just be honest before God as to where you're at. And then... If you want to be someone whose heart's desire is to seek God, can I encourage you to say that to him now, just quietly in your heart? I want to put you first, Lord. I want everything about my life to be worshipped to you. I want you to be number one. Set me free in worship this morning. As the psalmist said in Psalm 42, as the deer longs for the streams of water so I long for you God do you want to say that to God this morning as the deer longs for streams of water so I long for you God I thirst for God the living God if that's true tell him I thirst for you God I long for you 
His promise is that he will meet us in that place. So can I encourage you to stand? There's lots of space here. Take the lead of those children who brought the chairs forward and wanted to be here. Come forward if you want to come out, have a bit of space to worship. Use the sides. Don't just stay in your seat. Let's use this time to press into God's presence, to focus our faces on him, to give him glory and expect him to come and meet us in the midst of us.